Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Hope you guys had a great week. It was um, kind of an unexpected one and and, um, a first for us here at RCC because um, we lost um, a, a member of our spiritual family this week, uh, David Blakely. Um, David's been struggling a long, a long time. I know there might be some people who don't know Dave, but um, he's been struggling a long time with his uh, health, um, a lot of different conditions. And um, <clears throat> so I don't want to, uh, I want to make sure that I don't shy away from the fact that um, we lost him. He was, I'm used to seeing him sit right back there by the table and and having uh, Anita here with him and and all of that. And so um, I, I, I sat there with the family and friends on Tuesday night um, down at uh, Banner University Hospital um, as uh, we all watched and stood around his bed and they played his favorite worship songs. And we all um, were there as he took his last breath and uh, passed from here to eternity to be with Christ. A lot of freedom in that for him. A lot of um, a lot of physical limitations he's had um, through a lot of his adult life. And um, uh, tonight is not going to be a <clears throat> memorial service. The family is going to um, have a memorial service for him in a couple of weeks, and they'll be announcing some stuff later this week about dates and times and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want us as a as a church family, and um, whether you knew Dave well or not, if it's your first time here, welcome. Um, but if you didn't know Dave, he was a brother in Christ, and um, he went home to be with the Lord this week. And I don't want. I want to make sure that we don't miss these opportunities when there's a major life event that happens that we don't stop for a moment and reflect. A lot of this happens, you know, if you go to a go to a, a wedding, you know, with your spouse, you're already married, you kind of remember what your day was like and your cake was like and, you know, kind of go up there on the dance floor after the wedding if they, you know, if they didn't grow up in my church because you couldn't dance in my church. But, you know, if you didn't go to my church or any other church in the world and you had to dance at the end of the wedding and you can remember how it was for you and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff and kind of rekindles a little emotion right there, you can use those big life moments to um, kind of remind yourself of some things about your own life, kind of um, bring you back to um, a little bit of the clarity that is so easy for us to lose in our culture. <clears throat> but um, our culture, the reason I, I say it that way is because our culture is designed kind of to get us in the grind, get us in the monotony, to get us as a cog in the wheel. And you get your, you know, your, your, you, go to school and you get your diploma and then you go on to work or you go into college or you start a business and you kind of move on and all these things and these aspirations take over our life. But at these key moments, um, especially with us losing a church family member this week, it's a great opportunity for us to stop and say, how long have I just been spinning on the wheel and neglecting, possibly neglecting what I'm designed to do. And so the title of the message is, this week is what we're about. And it's not what we're about as, <clears throat> excuse me, as a church. We'll, we'll talk about that again sometime in the future. We, we talk about that fairly frequently. But um, when, I, when I talk about this, I want to kind of personalize it for your own self. Maybe ask yourself, what am I about? What am I about? 
<clears throat> and so um, businesses, successful businesses that are that have a lot of longevity ask themselves this question. If you're in business, you know this, or if you've done any kind of leadership um, development, or you've been on a senior executive team to try to help a business grow, you understand that that uh, the business asks a question. They ask, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Instead of what is our method? Because they get caught up in the method, the methods change and they stick with that antiquated method. Uh, let me give you an example of this blockbuster video. If you're under the age of 30, you don't know what blockbuster video was. Um, you can ask somebody who's my age or older than you, and you went into a place and rented VHS tapes or DVDs and returned them in three days. And they, if they were VHS tapes, they had to be rewound, right? Or they charged you a fee. Everyone's all, all the people over at the are like, I remember, I hated that. <clears throat> and, um, and you had to take it back or pay an extra fee, or if you lost it, you had to pay for the movie. Now it's like, I'll just stream it for $2 off of Amazon or whatever, you know, but before you had to physically go there and pick it up. And if there was only three copies and three people beat you there, you were out of luck. You had to pick something else. And um, so these guys didn't change their model. They were, were stuck to their method instead of a mission or purpose. And they were annihilated by Netflix because you don't need to physically go anymore. Just plug in your internet that everybody has and watch the movie. If you're married to your method, as opposed to your purpose or vision, what's going to happen is you're going to run, you're going to be run out of town from business and you're going to waste a lot of time in life. Now, you're not a business. People are not a business. The church has business principles that operates from, but we're not a business either. We are a gathering of believers who are going to take this moment to look at a, a principle that we find in business. And we're going to ask ourselves this question is the first line in your notes. It's beneficial for us to keep our purpose slash mission in mind as we make life decisions. It's beneficial for us to keep our purpose and mission in mind as we make life decisions. Let me say it this way. It is beneficial for us to remember what we're about when we're making decisions for life. <clears throat> I um, I called Anita a couple days ago, David's wife, and I said, you know, everybody has different seasons in their life where they focus on different things, but would you just be able to tell me for a moment what David was about? Like, was there a life scripture he had? Was there something that he always came back to? It didn't matter if he was single, when he was married, when he was when he had kids, or when he was in the ministry, or when he wasn't. Is there something, like an overarching statement about his life? What was he about? And without hesitation, she responded, he was about winning the lost. His number one thing was to win the lost. He wanted to, even his time in ministry, um, him and Anita spent some time in ministry um, before, his, before his accident, his health con concerns really kind of took over a lot of their time. And their main area of focus had their hands in several areas, but their main area of focus was marriage ministry. And she said that even in the midst of counseling people for marriage, he wanted to make sure they knew Jesus. They would counsel everybody, whether you were believers or not, whether you went to their church or not, they would counsel you and they would, they would make sure, David always made sure to present the gospel to every one of the unbelievers in their marriage sessions. He was about winning the lost. 
The other thing that Anita said very quickly is that he was always wanting to make sure that everybody knew the six fundamentals of the Christian faith. And in his honor tonight, I want to communicate on to us the six fundamentals of the Christian faith um, as as maybe a last group of people in honor of Dave are going to learn this because it's very important for us as believers, and they're in your notes. I, I wrote them down here, and we'll go through them quickly. Number one is repentance. Repentance, turning from our old ways and changing our mind and direction to follow Christ. Number two, faith in Christ, salvation. Faith only in Jesus, salvation. Number three, baptism. It's a thing that we do as a representation of us going under the water, death and burial, and coming up resurrection and and kind of resurrected and new in Christ. Number four, laying on of hands, prayer. Where people would come and they would ask for prayer, and if um, they were sick, the people would the, the elders of the church would come and lay hands on people and pray for them. Number five, resurrection of the dead. For those of us who are believers in Christ in this room, and you've given your life to Christ, you are a believer. When He comes, they, you will be resurrected from the dead to spend eternity with Him. And number six is eternal judgment for those who reject Christ. They have the unfortunate consequence of being eternally separated from him in torment and hell. Those are the six fundamentals of the Christian faith. And if you didn't know that, thank Dave. Because in honor of him, we've communicated those to our entire church here today. Anita asked her family the same question I asked her and said, what, what if you could tell me something David was about, tell me, you know, in a sentence, you know, because Matt's asking. And they came back very quickly and they said, David loved to pray. And Anita said, oh, man, that's right. He, he did love to pray. And when he would pray publicly, people would come to him and say, man, your prayer just, it did something to me. It, it moved me in this way that I, I can't explain. He loved to pray. I talked to a friend of his that was friends for several decades. And, and I said, what was Dave about? And he said, I was a, he was all about obedience to God. All about obeying what God would tell him. And even told me a story that, before Dave was saved, he was involved in a relationship with a young woman. And when he got saved, he went immediately after the service back to the young lady and says, I can't be involved in this relationship anymore like this because I just gave my life to Christ. I need to change. And he immediately separated. His friend made this statement that I thought was very telling of of um, it was very telling of the kind of transformation that happened inside of Dave's life because he said when after he got up from there, the taste for the things of the world, he didn't have them. What a great thing to say, man. What was his life about? It was about winning the lost. It was about praying, not just privately, but publicly for people. It was about um, uh, obeying Christ, about a true transformation. And I began this week as I began to hear these stories and pray about our message here today and ask the Lord to uh, kind of put a burden on my heart for what to present here to us tonight. And this question resonated with me, and I, I feel compelled to ask it to all of us here tonight. 
and I wrote it down in your notes as a reflection question. What will our spouse, our family, our friends say our life was about when the day comes that we pass from this earth to eternity? I'm not talking about, man, what are people saying about me? I need, to, I need to live some kind of front so that they would talk good about me and being concerned about what other people think about you and their social media comments. Just delete all that. No, I'm talking about after your life is over, when your friends, your family are surrounded the bed where you just took your last breath or they, they, they plan to go to a memorial service and they begin to think about your life, they would look and say, what was your life about? Bump all that stuff about, man, what do they think about me and their opinions? And I'm worried about how I'm being perceived. No, no, no. What was your life about? Upon examination, what would somebody say your life was about? There's a whole bunch of scriptures that I came across. I'm going to share a few of them here with you and, and go through these things. But would it, would, if somebody looked at your life, is it possible that they would say, any of these next number of things we're going to go through here and next time in your notes, would they say that you lived God's purpose? Would they say that that man, that woman, they lived God's purpose? And it may never ever crossed your mind to think there's a purpose outside of my own to live. Yes, Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a purpose greater than your own. And are you pursuing that purpose with such passion, such vigor, such commitment that people would look at the end of your life and say, that person lived God's purpose? Would it be said of us that we live to please God. Next line in your notes. <clears throat> that we live to please God, Colossians 1.10. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Why pursue spiritual understanding? Why pursue spiritual knowledge? Because then, then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Would it be said of us that, we turned our back on the world. It's next line in your notes. That we turn our back on the world. I'm not talking about turning your back on the people of the world. We're supposed to go out there and be a light, or to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a dying world. That is what we're supposed to be doing. What I'm talking about is what's listed in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul is imploring us as believers to reject what the world offers for us, reject what our flesh wants, reject the, 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 the old, evil, wicked, natural part of our life, the pursuits that it tempts us. You are not tempted by anyone else. You are tempted by your own desires to do things that are opposite what God would want for you. Would it be said of us that we turned our back on the world? Would it be said of us that we trusted God completely? Trusted God completely. Next line in your notes. You're probably familiar with this verse, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Could it be said, next line in your notes, that seeking God was their highest priority? These are the words of Jesus talking to his disciples and followers in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Would it be said about us that we pushed away every care, every fear that of the future, of what might happen, or what could happen if I walk down this road, what, what could happen, what could take place if I actually followed where Jesus is leading me? Can I push all of that away and say, regardless of the circumstance that I'm in, regardless where I'm at, I am seeking him first above all else. Tomorrow's got enough trouble for tomorrow. I'm dealing with it today. Could it be said of us that seeking God was our highest priority? Could it be said of us that we live to produce good fruit? Next line. That we live to produce good fruit. John 15, 8, Jesus talking to his followers again. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciple. This brings great joy to my father. Could it be said of us that we showed kindness and forgiveness? That we showed kindness and forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Could it be said of us that all of the things that our natural tendency is to smack somebody in the mouth who's talking bad about us or to go back at them and lash out the way they lashed out at us, to be governed by rage and anger and hatred and frustration, is would it be said of us that we never repaid evil for evil, but we looked at that and said, you know what, I'm going to respond in kindness and be tenderhearted. Would that be said of us? Could it be said of us that we were a person of faith? Next line in your notes. Second Corinthians 5, 6 through 7. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 
Do we live in a way where people, when they're asked the question, what are you about, would they respond, that was a person of faith? Could it be said of us, the last one here, could it be said that we had the heart of a servant? Galatians 5.13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Would it be said of us that we didn't try to run to the front, that we tried to run to the spotlight, that we tried to run to the most visible position, that, but this scripture governed our life, that we use the freedom we have to actually serve other people? There's a whole bunch more principles in scripture that we could talk about and say, man, are these things governing us? But I think you get the idea and the point of the question that I'm asking here today is that what are you about? And if someone asked, what are you about? Would they respond with any of these things? Maybe you've never thought about the idea of, man, I, I never thought about what I was about. Never thought about, man, what do I want people who are standing around that bed and talking to me after I'm gone? What do I want them to say? Don't want to be like, that dude was awesome. He was rich. He was cutthroat. He was the most savage businessman. Or do I want them to say he sought God as his highest priority? That she showed kindness and forgiveness instead of rage and anger. Second re reflection question I have for us tonight is do my actions reflect what I'm about? Do my actions reflect what I'm about? Before we can even answer that question, I want to put a qualifier in front of it, a qualifier in front of it. It's the next line in your notes. What we're about should please God. What we're about should please God. Galatians 1, verses 10, verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. That means that I am supposed to reject this idea of trying to find a way to please all the people around me, to be what they want me to be, and realize that Christ has made me new. His spirit lives inside of me, and that needs to change what comes out of me. It needs to change what I'm about, and what I'm about needs to please God. Letter B, our words should match our actions. Our words should match our actions. I worded this point a little bit differently yesterday because it was originally your actions are more important than your words. And then as I began to read through these scriptures again and spend some time thinking about it and mulling over it and sitting with it, I realized, no. My actions should match my words. 
If I say that my actions are greater than my words and I can just run off at the mouth and say whatever I want to say and then my actions show up to trump them, but no, these both should match each other. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Now, this scripture is specifically dealing with and and talking to a a specific person, a a false prophet, a false teacher, a a, a, a false, um, yeah, a false, false prophet, a false preacher, a false teacher. They're teaching the wrong thing. Paul calls it another gospel. They're not teaching the true work of Christ. And he's saying to look past their words and examine their fruit. But that principle of looking past their words and examining the fruit is the same principle that we're supposed to use as believers in Christ with other people who call themselves believers. Our goal is not to be heresy hunters or heretic hunters. People who are looking for you to mess up so they can go, ah, found it. There's the thing. You're not living the true gospel. That's not what the goal is. That's not the goal. The goal is to someone to pick through the actions of your life and look at what was produced by those actions and by your faith and by your words and see do what they say match up with what they did. Our actions and words must match. Give me three quick examples of that Old Testament. Abraham, what did he do? He had a son, Abraham and Sarah. When he was 100 years old, he took that son when he was somewhere between the ages of 20 and 30 up to a mountain to sacrifice him on an altar because God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, but now I want to test how much you believe me. And he takes his own son, not a five-year-old kid, not a six-year-old kid, a 20 to 30-year-old young man up to the mountain lays him on the altar and raises up a knife to sacrifice him to the God who gave him his son and God stops him. That man's words of I trust God and his actions lined up. A more recent example of someone's actions and words lining up were Um, are found in this letter. I put the the contents of the letter. I'll read it out loud. You can just follow along um, as I read it. But it was a a letter written by Major Sullivan Balau of the Union Army to his wife, Sarah, a week before the Battle of Bull Run, July 14th, 1861. This is a soldier who's on the field during the the Civil War, and he's he's, um, fighting for the, the freedom of the Confederates, uh, uh, the slaves that are held in the Confederate states and not allowing the states to break off and build this massive empire on the backs of slaves. He's trying to fight for their freedom and he's only been married six years and he's out on the front lines and he writes this letter to his wife. And it says this, my very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. 
I have no misgivings about the lack of confidence in the case in which I'm engaged. And my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans on the triumph of the government and how much a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love for country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly on with all these chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I have enjoyed them so long. And how hard is it for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hope of future years when God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to be honorable, to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and my the, the many pains I have caused you, how thoughtless, how foolish I have oftentimes been. Oh, Sarah, if the, if the dead can come back to this earth and, and fit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you in the gladdest day and the darkest night. Amidst your happiest, happiest scenes and gloomiest hours, always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath of the cool air through your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think, I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. Sullivan. We can all, you know, pretty obviously see that Sullivan's theology about the afterlife is a little off. It's not what I'm here to contemplate with you today. Do you hear the deep reflection in a man's voice who has come upon a major life moment and he's reflecting back thinking, what am I about? Are my words and my actions going to match up? And they did because Major Bilal was killed one week later in the first battle of Bull Run. The man gave his life. He followed through with the commitment of his mouth and his actions began to match that. I would say that if we all asked what was Major Bilal's life about, we would say, what? Anybody? Just by reading that letter, you can hear his heartbeat. What was his life about? Service? Okay. Anybody else? Freedom? Family? He was all about Sarah. <clears throat> he was all about Sarah. He was all about his wife, right? <clears throat> all about her. He was all about maintaining the freedom for future generations, even if it cost him his life. 
And the third and greatest example of this we remember during communion tonight was the life of Jesus. The greatest example of the words out of my mouth and the actions of my life matching up. And he is our standard setter. Letter C is in your notes is the, the last line of your notes. And it's, we can ask God what we're about. And the reason I put this in here is if you're somebody sitting in this room and you're going, man, I don't know if I've ever really thought about what I'm about. I don't know if I've ever thought about what is it that's going to define my life? What is it? What action? What words? What action and words coming together? What scripture? What principle? What foundation? What, what, which one of these fundamentals of the Christian faith that we went through earlier? Which one of these passages of scripture or any others that are not listed, which one of these things is going to define my life? Which one of them is going to? And you may sit there and go, I have no clue. I have no idea. I've been just doing my own thing, just kind of wandering through life and making ends meet and just living for my family and the next day and the weekend or whatever it is. And you may have just got caught up as a cog in the cultural wheel, but today because of a life moment, a loss in our church family, we get an opportunity to say, what am I about? We very clearly know what David was about. We know what Jesus was about. We know what Abraham was about. We know what Major Bilal was about. We know what all of those guys were about, but what about you? It's a more important question. Do you know what you're about? And if you don't, it's all right. I would implore you. I would beg you. I would, if I could, I would force you, but I can't figure that out soon. Why? Because it is always the most beneficial if your purpose and your mission governs all the decisions forward in your life. Why? I'm not just stuck on the way that I want to do things. I'm stuck on fulfilling the purpose, the, the mission, the assignment that God has placed in front of me, and I want to honor him with my words, with my actions, with my life so much that people will look back and say, that person, I know exactly what they're about, and they were not about their own will. They were about God's. If you don't know what you're about, there's a psalm in 139 that I put here on your notes. that you can use actually as a prayer. It's a serious one. It's, this is not a lighthearted prayer. This is not one that I would recommend that you just go be like, oh yeah, come on, let me pray this prayer. Nope. I did that. And it was very uh, painfully eye-opening. But it's very beneficial. Understand what you're asking before you ask it. Because this, this psalm, these verses in this psalm 139 are pretty powerful. It's this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out 
anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You pray that prayer and you want to know the answer and you tough it out long enough for God to give you the response after he speaks and shows you and corrects you and changes you and shifts your perspective and molds you in a way that he wants you, you are going to walk out with a very clear understanding of what you are about. If the answer to that question of what you're about is you, you're all about you, um, okay. But none of the scriptures here that talk about the purpose of your life surround you. It actually surrounds you loving God, loving others, serving God, serving others. It has to do with others. One of the reasons I put so many passages and some of those things that are in the notes that would this be said about us is some of you may have read those and thought, man, I never thought that my life could be marked by that, but that scripture grabbed me today. That passage stuck in my heart. There's something that resonates with me with that one. Then start there. And if none of those things did, I implore you to do what we should be doing anyway is diving deep into scripture and his word. And the more you spend time in his word and listening to him talk back to you in prayer, you're going to find very quickly what he wants you to be about. Matt, can I have coffee with you this week and you can answer this question for me? No. We can have coffee anytime you want. I, I can't define you. No minister, no pastor, no leader, no elder, no deacon, no one else is going to be able to define you. We can talk to you about your gifts, talk to you about the things that we see. It's you and Jesus' work. It's you and Jesus' work, personal work. It starts with his word and his spirit speaking to you. I don't want you to get to the end of the story, your time here on the earth. I don't want you to get to the end before you cross over into eternity with Christ and look back and think, oh, I have no clue what I was about. Because if you can find out now, it'll change and define and influence every decision you make going forward. Last thing I'll say about this is this, is that if you don't know what your, your mission is just yet, God's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not trying to make it difficult to bury it under a certain place at a certain time, and you have to serve God for exactly four years, eight months, 19 days, and 24 hours before you'll get that actual thing. No, go to his word and follow his commands, and you will find that that life purpose, that definition, that mission will become very clear.
most confusion happens away from Scripture. Most confusion happens when we're away from Scripture. Don't let it bug you. Don't let it be something that troubles your heart or your spirit. Go to his word and follow his direction. Your purpose, your mission, what you're about will become clear. If you're somebody in this room who says, man, I already know what I'm about. God has shaped my life. He has done some things in me that is very very well possible, absolutely possible. I'm, I'm convinced that there's people in this room who already know what they're about. They already know what their mission, their purpose is. They know what they're supposed to be defined by. They have principles. They have scripture involved in it. My question would be this um, to you. I am so grateful that you know. Are our words and our actions matching? Here's another tough tool that you could use that a friend of mine used this week and uh, was stunned at some of the answers that were given. Ask somebody who's close to you. If you're somebody who says, I know what my life is about and you think you got a clear, clear picture in your head, just ask somebody close to you that you trust. You know me a long time. What would you say that I'm about? What would you say the an overarching definition of my life? If you were to sort through my actions and the fruit of my life, what would you say I'm about? And if they say what's in your head, awesome, you are doing so great. Continue down that path. You're what you're going to have great wild effectiveness for the kingdom. But if it doesn't. Maybe take some time with the Lord today and say, how can I better reflect what I know I am marked with? Because if we do this, not as Roots Community Church, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in Jesus, as followers of him, if we do this, when we go out into the world and do the work of the ministry, the effectiveness will increase substantially. Why? Because you're not tossed back and forth by every wave of teaching. You know what you're about. And you know you're acting in obedience. It's like Dave acting in obedience to follow the direction of God. <clears throat> Normally at this point, I ask everybody to bow their head. I'm not going to do that. And I ask you a question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And on the very back of your notes, the very last page, I left you some space. And I wrote three questions at the top of the page. What am I about? What should I be about? And is what I'm about honoring God and his word? And so what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to just um, play a, just for a few moments, maybe no more than 10, maybe just five or six minutes. I'm going to play some music. And I want you to just have a moment with the Holy Spirit, with the God that you're serving, 
and ask him to be clear about what am I about? Can it be so definitive as it was with Dave, like as it is with Abraham, as it is with all the people we talked about and the message today, even Jesus, can it be so definitive? What am I about? And if it's something that you don't want to be about, it's okay. If you have, if you, if the Holy Spirit turns a light on in your heart and you say, man, I have been about all the wrong things. It's all right. There is a, there's grace for you to change. There's grace for you to make a pivot to obedience.